Uh, well, friends, uh, this week I was chatting to the owner of a local cafe. It was the day after the funeral of the three children who were tragically run over by a drunk driver as they uh, walked to the shops for some ice cream. I asked the owner of the cafe whether he saw the broadcast of the funeral. He said, yes, I have children of my own and I couldn't stop crying. I said, yes, but isn't it extraordinary that the mother could express her forgiveness of the drunk driver? He said, I don't think she can ever really forgive him. How can she forgive him each morning when she wakes up and notices that he has taken uh, something precious away from her? Uh, Now, I've got to say that I've been quite fortunate uh, up to this point in my life that most of the wrongs that have been done to me have been relatively trivial things. But I know that there are some of us here who have had unspeakable sins committed against them And for you, especially, this idea of forgiveness is a very difficult one indeed. C.S. Lewis once said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. How true this really is. How is it that we can really forgive others for what they have done to us? How is it that we can forgive others and go on forgiving them for their sin against us? Well, the topic for today is forgiveness. Specifically, it is forgiveness in the context of the church family, even though what Jesus says here, I think, has wider application beyond the church. And you can see that this is the topic in the Apostle Peter's question to Jesus in chapter 18, verse 21. For there he asked Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, I want you to see here that Peter is actually being very generous. Uh, You might remember from last week that Jesus has been teaching that if someone uh, sins against you, then uh, what you are to do is you are to go directly to that person and take the matter up with them, but to do so with a generous attitude, a generous spirit, in the hope that you will once again gain your brother or sister back. And so here, Peter is trying to be generous. In fact, uh, you might not have realized, but the rabbis of Jesus' day taught that three times was the magic number. For forgiveness. After the third time, you are under no obligation to forgive someone if they ask you for forgiveness. But here, Peter more than doubles that, doesn't he? Seven times, Jesus? But what does Jesus say? Well, he says in verse 22 that Peter has it all wrong. Now, I don't want you to forgive only seven times, Peter. I want you to forgive 77 times, he says. Now, uh, there's been a lot of ink spilt by commentators over this number. Uh, Some commentators say that uh, uh, this number is actually 70 times 7, which, uh, if you're good at maths, will know it's 490. 
uh, other commentators say that the number really is 77, and what Jesus is doing here is he's reversing the idea of revenge uh, that we see in Genesis chapter 4, uh, which was the chapter we, we read earlier, where uh, a 77-fold revenge comes to Lamech for killing another man. However, I think these debates miss the point somewhat, for what Jesus is saying here to Peter and the rest of the, dis- the disciples is that they are to forgive in an unlimited way. In fact, if you are trying to keep count or trying to limit your forgiveness of others in this way, then you've missed the point altogether of being a disciple of Jesus, you see. But how is this possible? If you really are a disciple of Jesus, then how can you forgive others in a way that is ongoing and in a way that is unlimited? Well, friends, uh, the big thing that Jesus wants to show us from this passage is that such forgiveness is not only possible, but it is expected of those who follow him. Uh, How is it possible? Well, it's possible because disciples of Jesus are the ones who themselves have been so outrageously forgiven by God himself. Now, you can see the outrageous nature of God's forgiveness in the parable that he tells of uh, this king and his servants, which we've uh, already heard about. Uh, You can see there in verse 24 that one of his servants in particular uh, is in great debt to the king in owing him an amount of 100,000 talents. Uh, How much is 100,000 talents? Well, uh, I've never really been very good at maths, but uh, this week I got out my calculator And I calculated how much this might be in modern-day terms. Uh, If you have a Bible with footnotes, you will see down at the bottom of the page that one talent was equal to how much? Does it say? 20 years' wage for a labourer. Now, if the minimum wage in Australia is $740 per week which is uh, $38,480 per year, then one talent is equal to 20 times $38,480, which is equal to $769,600. However, notice that this servant owes not just one talent, but 10,000 talents. And if you multiply... 760, however many thousand, by 10,000, you actually get to a whopping $7.7 billion. You see the point, don't you? You We may wonder, you know, what exactly this servant has done to get himself into a $7.7 billion debt. Uh, Is it even possible? (laughs) Is that legal to go into that much debt? But that's really not the point here, is it? The point is that this servant is in such deep debt that he cannot ever hope to pay it off himself. That's why his response in verse 26 of, I will pay you everything, is so laughable. He just cannot do it. And so, because he cannot pay off his debt, well, the king decides to recoup at least some of his money by selling the servant and his wife and children and all that he owns. I mean, you know, there's no way in the world he'll get back all his money, but at least, you know, he'll try to get back some of it. 
However, notice how the servant responds in verse 26. The servant falls on his knees and he begs for mercy. Which, as we've seen all along in Matthew's Gospel, is the right response to the king, isn't it? And how does the king respond? Well, here's the astonishing thing. We're told in verse 27 that the king takes pity on him. The word there actually means compassion. And he's forgiven the entire debt of $7.7 billion. He cancels it all. There's nothing to pay back. No strings attached. How outrageous is this kind of forgiveness? Now, friends, you can see the analogy behind the parable, can't you? The king is Jesus. The servant can be anyone who has humbled himself or herself before Jesus and entered his kingdom. And so this is not just the story of this imaginary servant. No, it's the story of Peter. And it's your story. And it's my story if we are people who belong to the kingdom. Well, you see, every time we sin, we go into serious debt with God. And I reckon that if you are anything like me, then your debt will be astronomical. I mean, think about how much we have sinned and rebelled against God and rejected his ways over the course of our lives. If I could project um, all the things that you have ever said or done or thought about in your private moments uh, up on the screen behind me for everyone to see, how do you think you will go? Image after image of your life, your deeds, the things you've said, the things you've thought about. I'm sure that there will be some things that you are are proud of and you wouldn't mind everyone seeing those things. But equally, I'm sure that there will be many, many things that you and I will be deeply ashamed of because we have lived in sin against God. You see, if we were to number our sins, it would be a little bit like the water meter outside of your house. It just keeps on ticking over, doesn't it? And the number just gets astronomical. We all have this huge debt with God and our rejection of the king of the universe is so serious that God demands that you and I pay with our lives. We deserve to have our lives taken away. And yet, here's the wonderful thing about the gospel. For the Christian gospel declares that because of God's compassion on people like us, Jesus died on the cross to take the penalty of death that you and I deserved so that anyone who humbles himself before this king will be promised forgiveness of all your sins. You can have all your debt cancelled. You can wipe away all your sins, past, present and future, no strings attached. That's why it's so wonderful that we could baptise Eliana this morning. What we are praying for is not that she will grow up somehow to be a good person so that she can cancel out her own debts before God in order to get to heaven. No, that's not what this is about. But we are praying that she will know the wonderful joy of knowing Jesus as her king, who forgives all her sins. 
who cancels all her debt. No strings attached. Just like he has done for his parents. For her parents, rather. Uh, I got a speeding ticket last year. Um, I'm a a little bit sheepishly ashamed uh, to admit it. I was a few kilometres over the speed limit. Uh, It was uh, over there on the new section of the M4. In the car was the senior minister and uh, most of the assistant ministers of this church. And so I want to take this opportunity to apportion some of the blame. They they, they should have stopped me. But uh, when I got the speeding ticket, I noticed something that made my heart sing. Well, right at the bottom of the ticket, it said something along, uh, something along the lines of, uh, you were caught speeding on the camera. The evidence is irrefutable. You owe us uh, $290. But this time around, we are letting you off with a warning, and we wish to cancel your debt. That day, I felt like the richest man on earth. <laughs> Friends, how much better is it when God cancels not just a few hundred dollars worth of sin, but $7.7 billion worth of sin? How much better when he cancels the astronomical debt that you and I could never on our own repay? Do you know this feeling? Do you know this forgiveness that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ? If you don't then maybe today is the perfect opportunity to plead for mercy before him and to make him the king of your life, that you also might know this forgiveness. Now, why does Jesus tell this parable? Well, I want to suggest that it's because he wants to show that ongoing and unlimited forgiveness is possible for disciples of Jesus who can draw on this massive fountain of God's forgiveness of us. In other words, those who know in their heart just how much they have been forgiven by God will be those who can forgive others deeply, truly, from the heart. And so forgiveness is possible, says Jesus. But what will forgiveness of others look like? Uh, Well, firstly, uh, our forgiveness of others will look like a commitment to not demand payment from the person who has sinned against us. Our forgiveness of others will look like a commitment to not demand payment from that person. You know, whenever someone sins against you, um, I don't know whether you realise, but there is a debt that is created, isn't there? For example, if I steal money from you and gamble it all away in reckless living, then... That sin will create a debt. Uh, You can justly um, demand from me that I pay your money back, pay that debt back. But if you choose to forgive me, then what you are doing is you're actually saying, no, I'm not going to demand that payment back from you. And so genuine forgiveness in the end is a commitment of the heart changed by the gospel to not demand and to not keep on demanding from the person who has sinned against you, what you think is yours by right? In what ways do we try to demand payment from those who have sinned against us? Well, uh, often we avoid them. 
or we are cold towards them because really deep down we want to punish them. We want them to know how angry we are and we want them to pay, isn't it? Or we keep on bringing up past hurts that the person has done to us to let them know that we still remember. We want them to know you still owe us for what you've done. Or we become very demanding and controlling of people more than other people because deep down we think, well, they still owe us. In every case, what we naturally try to do is to make that person suffer as much as we have suffered. Is that right? And yet genuine forgiveness is a commitment to treat the other person with love and respect and graciousness and not demanding payment from them. Now, in this way, I think forgiveness is not primarily a feeling. I think this is really important, for secular therapists will often tell you that you need to forgive others primarily in order to feel better about yourself or within yourself. You need to forgive, they say, so that you will not be angry and you will not be bitter and resentful, which ultimately will damage you. It's all about you. You're a good person, not like that person. And so find it within yourself to forgive that person and you'll feel better. Now, genuine forgiveness may result in less anger and less bitterness and less resentment. No doubt forgiveness is very healing. And yet genuine forgiveness in the Bible comes from a heart that is changed by the gospel and is about a genuine commitment to not make that other person pay even when we are feeling these things, anger, resentment, and bitterness. Secondly, forgiveness is costly. Why? Well, it's because all genuine forgiveness involves the person who suffers the wrong to absorb the debt, to absorb the cost. Now, most of the wrongs that we commit against one another are fairly uh, trivial things, and so we don't feel this way most of the time. But if somebody really sins against you, really wrongs you, then there is always a cost to forgiveness. In the parable that Jesus tells, the king who forgives the servant, well, he has to forego $7.7 billion. He has to write off that debt himself, doesn't he? Now, friends, this is the, the profound answer to the commonly asked question about why God cannot simply just forgive everyone without Jesus dying on the cross. Have you ever had people ask you that question? Why can't God just forgive everyone? Why was the cross necessary? Well, it's because genuine forgiveness always involves a cost on the part of the one doing the forgiving. So at the cross, what we see happening is God himself in Christ bearing the cost of forgiveness bearing the cost of forgiveness of your sins and my sins upon himself and absorbing that cost himself. But as with God, so also with us. All forgiveness is costly. Imagine how costly it would be for that mother of the three children who lost their lives the other week 
to wake up each morning and to forgive that drunk driver in her heart. One commentator says, forgiveness is always extremely costly. It is emotionally expensive. It takes much blood, sweat, and tears. When you forgive, you pay the debt yourself. But finally, friends, forgiveness is to be characteristic of disciples of Jesus. And uh, you can see this in the second part of our passage this morning, in what Jesus says about the servant who has just been outrageously forgiven by the king. Uh, You might remember that this servant was forgiven $7.7 billion, but what happens next? Well, in verse 28, he finds another servant who owes him 100 denarii. Uh, How much is 100 denarii? Well, uh, we're told in the footnotes again that in Jesus' time, one denarius was the equivalent of a day's wage for a labourer. And so again, if the minimum weekly wage in Australia is $740, then you divide that by five, and one day's wage is $148. And so 100 denarii is equivalent to about $14,800. It's not a small amount, is it? But it is certainly an amount amount that this other servant can pay back. Further, in verse 28, notice how he treats this servant who owes him money. Uh, He throws him against the wall. He grabs him by the collar. He begins to choke him. And even though in verse 29, this fellow servant falls on his knees and begs for forgiveness, the words are almost identical to the first servant's response to the king. Well, he refuses to forgive him and throws him into jail. When the king hears of what has just happened, uh, how does the king respond? Well, in verse 32, he calls the servant wicked, for not following, uh, sorry, not, for not forgiving his fellow servant, even though he has been outrageously forgiven himself. In verse 34, he is rightly angry and throws him into jail until he can pay back every last penny. In other words, he's thrown into jail forever, is the point. Well, how can you ever pay back $7.7 billion? Friends, I want you to listen very carefully to the warning here. For Jesus says in verse 35, these sobering words, he says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Now, is this Jesus preaching salvation by works? Is Jesus saying that if you do not forgive others, then you yourself will not be forgiven and, uh, and, and find yourself at, uh, outside of the kingdom? Or if you do forgive others, then you will be forgiven and you'll find yourself inside the kingdom of heaven? Now, I don't think that's what he's saying here. What he's saying is that if you are someone who belongs to the kingdom of heaven and you understand in your heart just how much God has forgiven you, then you also will be characterized by a forgiveness of others. In fact, if you are someone who is ongoing in your unforgiving attitude towards others, 
then you'd better make sure that you are in the kingdom in the first place, is what Jesus is saying. It's a bit like fruit on trees. You know, if I stand out here with some pears in my hand, uh, it doesn't actually make me a pear tree, does it? But if I bring in a healthy pear tree, then chances are that there'll be healthy pears on that tree. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's not that if you forgive, it makes you a Christian person who is part of the kingdom of heaven. Rather, if you are a Christian person, if you are that pear tree, and you belong to the kingdom of heaven, then you will bear the fruit of forgiveness in your life and in my life. Uh, In a church this size, we are bound to sin against one another. And forgiveness is really needed, isn't it? Uh, In the past, I've known two women who avoided one another at church because of something hurtful that was said many, many years ago. Uh, I've also known parishioners who were very angry with their pastor for mistakes he'd made or changes he had brought into the church. I've known spouses who are seething because of sins committed against one another over many years. In fact, it is sadly possible that there has even been terrible instances of sin and abuse within marriage relationships. And I I just want to say that forgiveness does not necessarily mean that you continue to live with your spouse in that instance. Forgiveness may require you to remove yourself from any danger in the first place or the first instance. But I want to ask all of us here, are there people that we need to forgive today? Are there people you are angry with or bitter towards or resentful of and it's just eating you up and you don't want to see that person. You're you're avoiding them. You're always thinking they owe you. Well, if there is, then what God is saying this morning is that forgiveness is not only possible, but it is to characterize your life and my life. We are to forgive ultimately because we have been so outrageously forgiven by God himself. Let's pray together. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your outrageous forgiveness of our sins and transgressions. Uh, We thank you that at the cross of our Lord Jesus, uh, all of our sins have been forgiven, all of our debt paid for, no strings attached, so that we do not have to pay with our own lives. Thank you that you have shown such extraordinary compassion towards us. And Father, as we reflect on just how much we have been forgiven, would you continue to change our hearts and make us more like you. Help us to be the people who do not hold one another to ransom for the sins that have been committed against us, 
but help us to be a people who are gracious and loving and forgiving, even towards those who have wronged us. Not seven times, but 77 times. And Father, we know that we will never be perfect in our forgiveness of one another, as you are perfect. But help us to repent of unforgiveness and to show grace and love and a forgiving spirit towards one another. If there are any of us here this morning who need to forgive others, we pray that in the gospel you would give them a heart of forgiveness and the courage to seek reconciliation with the one who has wronged them. For we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.